live of the complete Satoshi Kone. I'm Matt Gastire. I'm here with Travis Trudell. How are you, Travis? My daughter's screaming upstairs. Can you hear her? I can, but I don't know if it was like dream logic. Maybe she's just adding a little paprika to our episode. Is that what's going on? She's having a nightmare is definitely what's happening. I'm going to go upstairs and insert myself into the nightmare. And uh, I, I shouldn't say that she's upstairs. Like We're in a professional studio right now. We are professional we are. We're definitely, radio people. We're definitely not talking we're over gonna, the internet in two different gonna houses. We're going to do ads. We're face-to-face right now. We've both been that fully vaccinated, though. Mask off. I have Mask. that awesome like bikini tan line on my it's face. A bubble, so you can see the, we've you can been see living, the straps. We've been living together in a bubble for the last we've been six months. That's why we haven't recorded so much, season. everyone. Because now that we live together, it just doesn't. We just have the conversations all the time. <sighs> okay, it's going to be one of those nights. Um, <laughs> I mean, the the it's funny because I think the first thing I wanted to point out to everybody is that um, we are not high right now. <laughs> And I think that's important to establish anytime you're talking about uh, paprika, because there is going to be a point in this conversation where we are going to say, wait, like, what if this is a dream? Like, what if we are all living in a dream and we're just waiting to wake up? That it. It feels like we've been living in a nightmare. So, I mean, it could, it's a possibility. <laughs> it's a yeah, strong possibility. It is. You know, things aren't making sense. Uh, but now, you know, it's starting to feel like something <laughs> might be happening here. But, uh, you know, that's when we snap awake and, uh, you know, they put us back into the battery tubes and we just continue to uh, live in the matrix right. after this. Yeah. There are there there is about half the country that thinks that that um, Joe Biden's going to get up from the table and have snake legs or octopus legs. So I think they, you never know um, what's going to happen. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, so so we're we're here to talk about paprika, uh, which is um, Satoshi Kon's fourth feature, um, the fifth kind of major project that he directed. And uh, very unfortunately, his final movie. Um, mm. It was not planned to be his final movie, obviously. Um, but uh, as he was making his fifth feature, he uh, was diagnosed with cancer and passed away rather quickly. Um, and that that project has never been completed. We'll talk more about that project on the bonus episode. But for now, um, we're left with this final film of his. And uh, as tragic as it is, I think it's an extremely appropriate final movie. I think it's the summation of his career. And uh, I think that we'll get to it eventually, but I think the ending is rather poignant considering um, uh, what happened to him afterwards. Yeah, it would seem that that's a, you know... it's almost like you know Bowie writing Black Star, knowing what's coming, yeah. having that ending be the ending of this movie is almost like ah, I saw this coming, and it's amazing that it wasn't something that was uh, completely intentional in terms of a farewell. So, um, so Matt, what do you think about Paprika? Um, so you know, I think I watched this movie rather quickly um, after uh, seeing. His other films, uh, I, I think, I think I watched everything of his in order, but I could be wrong and have to go back and, and check my uh, my log. But I think, um, 
I was struck by just kind of how different it was from everything that I'd ever seen before, really, um, both in terms of um, anime, but also just film in general. Uh, you know, I think we talked a lot about David Lynch on the last episode, um, and I think there's certainly, uh, I think anytime you think about dreams, you go to Lynch uh, in film, and there's a dream logic here that I think transcends the, the incredibly complicated plot uh, of the film. Um, but I think more importantly, what he's doing with animation here is just uh, exceptional. I have issues with the movie from mm -hmm. like a squeamish perspective and I think a gender politics perspective, mm -hmm. um, which I think it, to a certain degree is true of, of the majority of Cohn's work. But I think the more that I watch this, the less I kind of pay attention to anything that's really happening in it and just kind of go with the flow. And I think that makes it, uh, significantly more uh, valuable and and enjoyable. Like it, it's just an incredible movie to watch and see everything that's been poured into it. Um, because it, it 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 it's obviously, I think objectively speaking, his most technically accomplished movie. But also from a just pure visual ideas perspective i think it's a masterpiece yeah i i i agree with you i think visually this is by far his like the most fantastic of of all of his work um all of the concepts and ideas that he's been kind of playing with and toying with in terms of film language from the other movies um is in full display here and almost you know it taken taken beyond the page like you know when uh, the opening the opening uh credit sequence where paprika is uh moving through the spaces through dream logic space you know we see and we see so, you know, a figure on a rocket ship on the side of a truck and now she's on that rocket ship flying through the air and now she's on a billboard and it's just the the transitions of that se sequence are uh stupendous like the, the film you know the beginning of this film sets up um, everything we need to kind of know about how all rules will be broken and nothing is as what it seems and there's not a single thing that is in this film that cannot be altered changed or utilized uh, to any degree because of the logic that this film is setting up for us so I agree and I like what you said about this being a distillation of all of his other works kind of like a <clears throat> a just take taking the themes and concepts from everything else he's done and kind of uh, tightening them up and putting them on the page in a more on the screen excuse me in a more joyous way i think this is a very bright mm. side to the uh darkness that was in paranoia agent um you know same kind of wrestling with the same kind of themes of kind of repression um but in this one where repression leads to this dark Jungian shared consciousness that is, uh, you know, bad. Uh, this film, you know, has this kind of idea of using your dreams as a means to uh, solve your problems, uh, which is the whole invention of this, uh, this scientific device, the DC Mini, is you can now enter someone's dreams, uh, record their dreams, uh, visually watch their dreams from a monitor, and uh, our hero of our film, uh, 
uh, is a dual personality. Um, Asuko Chiba is the doctor who works for the uh, Foundation for Psychological Research, and she uses the DC Mini to help navigate uh, patients and help kind of uncover traumas or problems that they're having, help soothe these items and kind of help them uh, bring their subconscious issues to the forefront. And in doing so, she does it as this avatar known as Paprika, this other dream world avatar of herself that can kind of uh, seamlessly bounce around. And as the movie progresses, we start to realize that they are very different, but they are not whole unless they are together, which is a which is a lovely concept because a lot of uh, a lot of Cohen's uh, other characters who are doubles um, usually are both trying to fight for dominance, and this is a movie in which the, they realize that they need each other, which is a nice uh, a nice twist on kind of that idea. So I think there's two things that you mentioned that I really want to talk about. Um, I'm, I'm struggling to go in one or the other direction because I, bo- I really want to talk about both. We can talk about but, both at the same time. Go. <laughs> we'll talk about one while we're awake and the other one while we're dreaming. Um, so the first one is just the, uh, the, the credit sequence which I think is just something that every human being should see. It's mind-blowing. And I think if anybody says, I'm not interested in animation, they should watch this because it is an encapsulation of everything that you are able to do in animation that is impossible to do in uh, you know, live-action film. And even if you do it in live action film, it will not work because you will be able to kind of see the seams. Uh, yeah. Anyways. I mean, just the 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 uh, the rocket that you talked about, the fact that she goes from being on this billboard to flying in a rocket to going into another billboard to moving to another billboard where she's in a different ad. The the scene that really just gets me every time is when she's on a computer screen and then she stands up and she's outside of the computer screen in the office and moves around uh into the the reality of what you know the person that's looking on the computer screen um the scene where she's eating in a restaurant and there's a reflect there's four or five reflections of her and she has a different response to the the dude hitting uh, on her. Yeah, um, in sort of just you know rejecting him basically, and then in order to get away from the two guys that are hitting on her, she disappears into somebody's shirt. <laughs> yeah, and then the shirt fills the frame. And then of the, the shirt fills the frame and, she's and left becomes behind. the reality. Yeah, oh, it's it's. It's absolutely stunning. Like you can't like our our words are not describing how yeah. how visually like insane and beautiful. Like the logic, the logic you have to take. Uh, I watched this for my third or fourth viewing of this. I watched this with my daughter. She was home home that afternoon. She just finished her MCAS and she had nothing to do. And so I said, well, I got to watch my podcast movie one more time. You want to watch with me? And that scene, like she was hooked. Like after that opening thing, she's like, that was awesome. And we just, you know, she was in. She was in for the rest of the movie. 
and she knew that nothing like there were times where she's like oh my gosh this is a dream like there were times where she just couldn't because of the way that it's all set up she was always expecting things to not be real and so when you know when surprisingly things change when uh uh logic shifts or perception changes quickly um it, it's all it's a surprise but it's not it's not unexpected you know what i mean it has that yeah. you know you're, you're kind of like okay i know what i'm in for but still it takes a second to reorient as these things happen especially uh i think there's a scene where chiva's uh investigating some apartment and she goes to and she ends up at this amusement park and you know everything flows just like dream logic where you're here then all of a sudden you're at this other place and it makes total sense to you because you're in the dream and she goes to hop a fence and then yeah. she's snapped out of into reality where right. she's jumping she's off jumping the balcony. Off. Yeah. And that scene is crazy. And then, and you know, the fence bends. Oh, that's and that that's that's the that's one of the cool things is that uh, this idea of reality warping as uh, as you start to realize you are dreaming. Um, it happens again yeah. with our detective uh, right. Konakawa in the hallway. Yeah. You know, I want to talk about that, too. We're getting ahead. All right. Of OK, now, let's okay? let's say, OK. I'm first jumping all, around dream logic yes. wise. That's why so, I'm just so, going. So every first place. of all, I want to talk about the the the. I still I'm still on the opening here because no, I, was, what's so amazing about the opening is that it's not just this flashy like look at all the things that we can do and it shows you know sets up the dream logic of the movie, but also is flashy in terms of um, uh, what it you know what it's doing with animation. But it's really in line both with like what. Cone's work has done before and the narrative of the film so you've got you know the the scene where she's standing in the in the um middle of the of the road is a to me a direct reference to paranoia agent Mm -hmm. um the opening uh credits of that film the music is similar too obviously it's made by the same person but um it, it it also recalls that and it's kind of it's like joyful psychosis uh, yeah. to a certain degree Hirasawa. Um, <clears throat> yeah um and and then the other thing is that it really it establishes this character of paprika this idea of like being able to move freely within reality and fiction and also her relationship with men um both in terms of her ability to kind of evade their uh, you know, aggression, but also the fact that she is the kind of focal point of that uh, aggression, um, both both like with the characters that are hitting on her, but also like viewing her on a computer screen, um, on billboards, like she's she is this object of desire in a lot of ways um, in that sequence. And then finally, um, the last kind of trick of the eye that Cohen uses in that sequence is her um, morphing into her real life persona of Chiba um, in the car. So she's riding a motorcycle, she disappears behind a car and all of a sudden she's driving in the car and then she turns into the this character who's the protagonist of the film who also happens to be her um, real-world uh, doppelganger, essentially. Um, so it's it's 
again, Cohen isn't just like doing these tricks in order to have fun or be flashy or show what he can do with animation. He's actually weaving these techniques into the narrative of the film. It's incredible that he's able to do that so seamlessly. Yeah, and and like you said, it's it's character building. You're you need no more information about her, about Paprika um going forward. Yeah. You get exactly what she is. She's almost like a playful sprite in in terms yeah. of kind of like the way she moves about. Um she has a a cartoon logic, that dream logic, the same way that like a Bugs Bunny would navigate his way through the world, you know, like this idea that yeah. everything is a plaything to her and nothing is something that she should ever fear. There's no fear in anything that she does. Um, you throughout almost the whole entire movie, and even when we do all of a sudden realize, like, oh, she's like, this is a this is a scary situation. She usually, uh, it's usually her playing the person like a fiddle, like just kind of like. You know, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm not really that scared about this. And it's only a couple yeah. times where she's taken it back, and but she navigates it well. I mean, yeah, and what like you said with the uh, her relationship to the men around her, um, we're coming off of her. This opening title sequence is coming off of her spending the evening inside the mind of our detective, um, and it. It almost plays like a like a post uh, coital scene where they're both yeah. waking up next to each in other, almost yeah. like yeah, in a hotel room. Uh, there's a bit of a kind of a you know a transactional quality to the nature of their relationships. You know, it's almost like you know money's on the dresser, we're done here kind of thing. But it's her that's calling all the shots, her that's making all the rules. You realize that she's the one that's there to kind of take care of of uh him like it's he's the one who needed help he's paying for therapy and it's not until uh we we realize that later it's almost like when you think of the movie kind of like strange days where they're kind of uh tapping into someone's uh viewpoint and kind of being a part of them or you think of inception uh all these movies are kind of well no strange days took place before but inception borrows heavily from this film um it's this idea of of uh, paying someone to help you solve your problems. It's it, there's this weird narrative of this idea of mysteries, but they're all subconscious mysteries, things that we need to solve in the subconscious uh, to help us kind of break up the stagnation of what's going on in reality. Um, and like you said, you know, you get to see the transition to her. Uh, physical um, non-dream version of herself, uh, Chiba. And, you know, here's where in our animation we have a very visually different, whereas Paprika has this uh, shocking uh, pink, orangey pink hair. Um, Chiba's got this dark hair. It's up in a bun. It's not loose and free. Right. Her clothes are very, uh, you know, professional, very well, like, yeah, muted, it's, it's muted similar colors. It's similar to Harumi and... Um... Was it Maria from yeah. from Paranoia Agent, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, two... and and similar in terms of like being like it's almost like like you said like postcoital like there is a bit of a like evening like lady of the night 
yeah to paprika of like she's freeing these guys to like enact their wildest fantasies and it's it's yeah and we and we'll i mean we'll talk about it throughout but there's a there is a an idea of like you know this dream girl who is very aware of her sexuality in terms of how she does things you know there's moments where she's like she's like she sinks into someone and like you know like lays across them puts their full weight on them and then just sinks into them with like uh i think she she has some like may west sexy line as she does it and then you know uh frees him from something um and then you know when it's done to her later in the movie it's 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 kind of shocking when you start to see like you know you know what she's been doing as it's done to her is kind of like oh okay this is kind of this is not this is not healthy um but yeah there is there is a quality there is a quality to her that is that it's the it's it's sometimes verges on the more male fantasy of what a sexual liberation for a girl is um but i think uh it does better than a lot of films in terms of that instead of making her just like a sex pot that is free it's more like she's free free in the terms that she understands that it's everything's a dream so all this there is no use for logic here like you know i don't have to be this or i have to be that because none of it matters i can be anything so I can be hypersexualized in terms of being flying around like Tinkerbell, but at the same time, I can also be, you know, the Monkey King and fly from the clouds. And you know, I she's she's anything, and she's you know, it's whatever people are projecting on her. And at the same time, she's projecting pop culture around her as a means to kind of uh, invade people's uh, psyches, which is it's pretty it's pretty neat. It's a it's a very cool concept. Yeah, um, I'm going in 40 directions at once here. But, I mean, you mentioned Tinkerbell. I, I think there's definitely also, like, a blue fairy, uh, mm. like, thing. And she at one point she becomes Pinocchio, too. There is, like, a yeah. bit of, like, a Pinocchio vibe to the movie. Um, and Pinocchio is, like, a hardcore morality tale. Like, I almost, like, bristle at Pinocchio a little bit because it, it, it like, it jumps the... the shark a bit for me as a fairy tale until just being like don't drink and smoke kids you know what i mean (laughs) um and but but i I, so i kind of feel weird about that connection here because i do worry that the in particular like the sinking into the bodies like it's it's such an obvious um sexual uh allegory that like and 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 Cohn even mentions it, uh, like, you know, confirms that in the uh, in the commentary on the film. I don't know if if you listen to that, but um, the idea of like you know a lover melting into your arms mm-hmm. uh, in a in a book or in a movie um, being uh, a metaphor that you know what when when the when the guy does it to her, it's it could like very clearly uh stand in for rape and mm-hmm. there is this feeling of like you know is the implication because she's so playful in the beginning and the way that she sinks into um 
I forget his name, but the, uh, the boss. Shimu. Uh, yeah. Um, at the beginning is so playful and it doesn't like there's, there is like a sexual vibe to it, but it's in this very gentle way that it almost feels like, you know, punishment comes back to her because she was, you know, it's like Jenny and Forrest Gump, like she's the free spirit. So of course she's going to get AIDS. Yeah. On. Um, and that, that's one of the aspects of the movie that I find a little queasy. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I, I'm fully like willing to, to feel like I'm reading too much into that. Um, <laughs> but I, I do feel like that scene has like a little bit of like a, I don't know. It's, it's just icky. A little it's, bit. Like, it, it is, it's very icky and it, it has a bit of the, uh, right after that or right before it i can't i am trying to remember place it but there's also a bit of the tentacle porn aspect of anime that happens as well in this film which i'm pretty sure a lot of this movie is commentary on the state of anime as well anime sorry um because you know as he said in the beginning of his you know when he was making uh perfect blue he didn't want to yeah. make robots and uh you know porn he wanted to do something different and then yet we have giant robots and tentacle porn Tentacles, in this film yeah. you know yeah. which is <laughs> which is just you well, know and the other thing is that like i mean dream dreams can be super icky too mm-hmm. so it, it's not a, you know it's not a um an excuse for the film but i do think like going like going into that subconscious like there's going to be a dark side that yeah. shows up and as part of you know and as much as that it's funny it it, it has it has the same qualities of the uh, filmed rape scene from perfect blue you have this ickiness factor of what's going on but you also know this is just a dream right. so really nothing is going on but it also serves a purpose to unzip her and reveal who she really is real. yeah yeah at this real. point no one really knows who paprika is uh who her real you know human human aspect or her uh, you know non-dream aspect is and that's part of what you know this character is trying to discover so they can kind of figure some stuff out so there is a logic to it but it is it's extremely disturbing uh that scene um especially because it's played um, it is played to be uh, hurtful. I think uh, uh, the Andrew Osmond book refers to it as like a Silence of the Lambs type section of the film where you know she is pinned to a table like a butterfly, yeah. like a sample, like a collection. Um, it's, it's, she's being held down by a uh, character who uses his sexual wiles to get his way as well. Um, there's inferences that he... He used sex to get to the assistant, uh, Himuro, who is right. the assistant for the creation of the DC Mini. Uh, he uses sex to get to him to be able to steal this idea. Um, he's also using sex to sleep with the chairman to kind of, you know. So this character is in real life using uh, sex as a means to an end, where Paprika is using these sexual qualities to help characters get through their uh, you know pain and trauma in their dreams to kind of release them from something because she does she plays she plays a lot of the kind of 
uh, typical girl in movie roles within uh, Konakawa's dreams. Um, you know, she plays yeah, all the all, yeah, yeah, literally, she's playing those roles to help him kind of uh, process uh, what's going on in his dreams, and it's uh, it's very uh, it's very it's very interesting. Like there's there's lots of stuff going on in this film visually and uh, thought processes that is really striking and you can ruminate over for a while. Plot-wise, this movie is very meh. <laughs> like, I, I, I try thinking, like, I really don't know what kind of happened. Why the chairman wants to do what he does. Yeah. I don't know what's kind of going on with that. Why something of something or other seems to be important. Except for in service of getting to these really cool visual sections of a story. Um, so... After coming off of something like Paranoia Agent, where it just keeps on building upon this theme over and over again, and just like is this massive undertaking, and then like the quick and joyful story of Tokyo Godfathers and the you know Millennium Actress, where it spans generations. It's a simple story, but told well. This story seems to be unnecessarily. It's not convoluted. It just seems to be missing some sections. Like yeah. there's no exposition person that helps uh, tell us kind of like what's going on so that kind of you know for four viewings i know what's going on but i kind of still don't know what's going on <laughs> it's also it's like uh, well so there's two things for me that i totally agree um well first of all is just the love story like the whole idea that uh chiba would be interested in tokita like to me is the other kind of like icky part of this film to me because he's very much like a i mean he's literally childlike and there's nothing about him other than the fact that he's obviously a brilliant person that would be attractive to her about him yeah there's no there's nothing there's nothing built upon within it. like Yeah, and so it feels very much like a male fantasy situation mm-hmm. where it's just like, you know, I'm the gross nerd and, she, like, here's this perfect, two perfect women, basically, in one, you know, in one body um, who fall in love with me because I, you know, deep down they understand that I'm, like, very special yeah um it doesn't seem like there's anything else really going on there like there's a there's a couple of character moments between them that that are interesting but ultimately it it feels very surface level in terms of paying that off at the end yeah um well her her, then, lo- her love for him is childish like he is yeah like it's yeah. basically like she just gets to take care of someone and have a big teddy bear which is a weird but i don't know why that would be something that would be interesting to her based on her character That's exactly to me. you know that 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 is what it's weird unless yeah her dream self is the one that wants to just have a typical female role which then just makes you really sad to think that that's kind of the what is getting at so i don't like to think about that you know this idea that like her dream self wants to be the girl being rescued in tarzan and the uh screaming girl in the corner and even though she you know she can be anything she does choose to be lots of feminine idealized items a mermaid tinkerbell um, a yeah, puppet, uh, yeah. a little princess doll, um, 
you know, she does, you know, she is choosing to be these things, which then you just have to now say, okay, well, is it the character's choice? Or now we have to reflect back on our director at this point, because the director is the one who's choosing what items she is going to be. Um, you know, some movies we have, you know, we've talked in the past about how actors or actresses have brought to the their characters things that help flesh them out more. I think we talk a lot about Julia Binoche in Blue when we did the yeah. Um This one, there's no, there's no way that an actor can bring except her in vocalization. So all the visuals are done by, you know, all of his usual team of men, which when you come from something like Millennium Actress, which is such a you know strong positive message but at the same time it does still have the hallmarks of kind of like a you know a girl just wants love and you know it's you know it's, it's kind of you know you have some of those i don't know if uh, you know some of it is cultural but it there does seem to be a bit of that kind of idea of her being a character that is an idolized uh, female representation that isn't necessarily a truth run. Even as her doctor self, as Dr. Uh, Chiba, she's still yeah. kind of like, you know, if she's the one who loves that creepy dude who, you know, even when things, the chips are down and things are going wrong, he's still obsessing over the wrong things. Um, you know, you wonder. That's not a that's not a love affair that you can kind of be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. None of it makes sense. I feel like with Paprika, like, there is a very interesting component to her character, but I also feel at the same time like she is one of the more conventional anime characters in Cohen's filmography. Like, she's very sort of cutesy and uh, not, and, and, you know, unlike something, uh, something like the dog in paranoia agent like it feels uh very not self-conscious like i feel like he's not really realizing how much she feels like a construction um and sort of like a male fantasy yeah i don't know maybe i'm wrong like no, I, I, I... because there is like a dream component to it for sure but it just feels like it, like here's this incredibly powerful person who can change lives by entering someone's subconscious and she's just like ha 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 I'm paprika ha ha yeah. you know she picks like a, manic, a manic like pixie a, she's a pixie, literally yeah, the manic yeah. pixie dream girl she's the uh, yeah the dream yeah the dream manic pixie girl yeah yeah <laughs> which you know yeah. which you know then it, it's weird in that in that sense so it kind of makes you that that's where the kind of the the world building holes are for me in this is that is paprika uh, the idealized version of chiba because that is what tokita has programmed into the dc mini like is the dc mini mm. this idea of like you know because it's something that he has made is this kind of like his idealized manic pixie dream girl that he Whoa. wants chiba to be or, you know, or as he calls her, you know, At-Chan, which is kind of like sweetheart. Um, you know, is this a character? Because if you think about it, everyone else stays who they are in their dreams. Um, you know, uh, Konakawa stays who he is. 
Um, you know, he becomes kind of like, you know, different versions of himself, but he's always himself. Um, you know, even Inui, the chairman, when he changes, he's still himself, but he's, you know, he grows to different sizes or shapes or does things. Everyone's the same except for uh, Paprika. She's the only one that, like, has a physical change. Hair color, facial structure. So it makes me kind of wonder, you know, was this designed for Chiba to do this research for? And if so, is this the avatar that was designed for her? So she can't help but be that way because that is the way that you know, uh, Tokita has programmed her to be. It sounds weird, but that's... She's the only one that has this kind of... Um, no, it's an interesting idea. I mean, it kind of makes me go in a bunch of different directions. I mean, first of all, I guess the, the only thing I would say to oppose that theory would be she's also the only one that kind of goes off the map and... and uses the DC mini in a way that's not kind of like, you know, part of the protocol. Um, yeah. She creates, uh, you know, this persona in order to help these people in a way that's not exactly, um, uh, you know, up to code. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I do like, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, but then that becomes more complicated because is what we're seeing at the end. I mean, it feels like a more straightforward ending than, you know, Inception that you had mentioned before. And I'm sure we'll talk more about um, at the end of that, where it's very explicitly like, wait, is, is this still a dream at the end of mm. that movie? Um, there, I guess you could see a world in which um, Tokita is essentially reconciled his dream world with the reality and that's the reason that Chiba is therefore in love with him um, in that situation and you don't really necessarily know if he's in a dream world or if he, he's uh, or or if he's moved dreams into reality the other thing I think about is just the the ending which we haven't talked about yet um, of of her kind of literally swallowing uh the uh the chairman and maturing from child to full-grown human paprika uh what it, it like if 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 she's a creation of this kind of dc mini uh construct that's been inserted into people's subconscious um what does that say about her connection to chiba that she's kind of being used in this way to almost like eat up the virus that has infected everybody's subconscious and that that actually like creates her in a very um you know kind of puberty centric way She's yeah, been well, like matured through the process of excising everybody else's uh, hangups. Well, we can we can take it even a step further that without uh, Chiba and Paprika uh, joining together inside of the mm. stomach of Tokita, 
and then emerging as a baby yeah. you know there's also this weird reverse birth like you know mm. a male birth giving birth to mm-hmm. this perfect woman who can destroy all the evil in the world for you and make you feel good uh you know <laughs> it's 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 strange when you when we start looking at kind of like <laughs> that's why there isn't like a like with millennium actress you know there is a blending of reality and fiction that there's still this sense of kind of like who the author of this narrative is because it is her story. And in this one, after a while, you kind of start saying, okay, well, wait a second. If people are having dreams, why aren't they other things? Why are they always themselves? Why, like, why is Paprika the only one like this? And is it because she's unique? Well, if she's unique, then, and, you know, what are the odds that she's the unique one that is working with this guy? So this guy made this thing and he loves her. And obviously he loves her because they have a relationship and he calls her sweetie. And the other thing is, is are they in a relationship at the beginning of the movie? And we just, she, they want to keep it professional at work because, you know, he calls her dear think, and she says, yeah, don't call me that. Don't call me that. Yeah. But which I guess could be like, don't give it away. Uh, well, because and, and if that, yeah, because that's the thing. Because because that book, scene right, takes place they, they've af- been, they've that been scene together. takes they have been together in the book. Yeah, but yeah. Is in the, the book ca- they've been together. Yeah. But is the character like that same type of character? Just like, like that's what like I just I like, think so because he's stuck in the elevator. She pulls him out, and then they have that moment which we don't see until later in the movie. Um, that you know she hugs him and says, you know, right. I can't believe I love someone that's that gets himself in this kind of trouble, and then you know later you know. Then later in that like that scene, he calls her dear, and she right. says, "Don't call me." So that's like that's the other thing. Like, are they are they together? Were they together before this? And if they are, then <laughs> what does that say about me making a better version of my wife to go into my dreams to fix me? <laughs> like, yeah. like, there's a whole other narrative going on here that I can't uh, I can't wrap my head around. Which, you know, everything is great about the film in terms of its visual style and logic, but there's almost too much dream logic that it leaves too much holes in the real logic, which would help me invest myself more into kind of what's going on or help even character beats feel more earned or deserved. Because um, to be quite honest, I love, I like this movie a lot visually. But I really don't care what happens. Nothing's at stake for me in this film. Like totally. the mystery of of Konakawa is interesting, but it bears no resonance within the grander arc of what's going on. Yes. I don't I don't know why Osonai is evil. <laughs> I don't know why he's you know, he's playing all sides. And I don't know why Inui, the chairman wants to wield life and death over everyone (laughs) i have no idea why any of this is going on which is why this feels the most like a anime type film to me is because a lot of times there's like larger uh, either cultural or um, just history to whatever movie because most movies we see anime movies we're seeing 
they're usually the direct-to-video or the movie versions of a longer narrative that's been going on on television. So if this was like the movie of a longer narrative that had been happening on TV for a while, then these kind of holes would be okay because they'd be explained somewhere else in this universe. But because there is no explanation here, I'm kind of left adrift, which is okay because dream logic prevails, and I'm okay with that. But when I start to think about it like narratively... I kind of step away from it and it doesn't it doesn't kind of resonate with me the way I want it to. That makes total sense to me. I mean the 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 other thing I'm thinking about as we're talking about the plotting is that there's not really like the DC mini seems in inherently like this incredibly valuable thing mm-hmm. but there's never explicitly explained in the film specifically what they expect to get out of it like it does there's hints of like oh we can do this like psychological evaluation of these people but they don't really say like specifically what it will do and it seems like they frown upon what chiba is doing which it seems to me would be the only thing that you would be able to do with yeah, it because she's doing this off the books like she's stealing but why this... like what like yeah. what what are they doing on the books with it <laughs> you know yeah I mean? well and um, the chairman says like this is the we, if we lose this this is the end of our society as we know it and i'm like why what's gonna why <laughs> what what, yeah. well, what is it gonna do and then you know you do see what it does do in the wrong hands it creates sure it starts well, it to generate sense, like a dream field in terms it also of... does, that that scene definitely does feel like he like we we went we came into the movie halfway through in his character like why like it's not like there was anything that's happened at that point in that scene because that because he's he's already against the dc mini before um the uh shima goes crazy yeah and starts like talking crazy stuff so like why did he approve of this in the first place like why is this a thing that's been created if this guy who seems to be running it like immediately would understand why this would be a powerful thing that you wouldn't want to get into other people's Well, yeah, and it's not even like he's trying to monotonize, like monetize it. It's not like he was trying, like, it's be one thing. It was like, these are the scientists versus the guy who yeah. wants to sell this for money. Or here's the scientists who realize they've created something that the military can use uh, in the wrong way. Or here are the scientists yeah. and someone steals it. We don't know well, why they've steal it, you know, stolen it. And it's it, it just kind of is like... That's a bad thing. Well, why? We don't know why. No one yeah, knows why. I, I will. I will say though, like I'd rather have the the not knowing why than like the corporate espionage yeah. of Inception. Well, like that. That's it's so bland and depressing that that would be like the use for something of this type. That like I would prefer. Well, at least this uh, one goes straight into kind of like. This is being used to help people reconnect with their feelings. Yeah. Where that movie is like, this is being used for us to discover to make a lot that of this money. guy really just needed to get in touch with his feelings about his dad to solve all these problems. <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay, well, you know, that's, it's the same message, but... Uh, no, I agree. I agree. Like, I don't want, I don't want those, the, those, those examples I gave are like the most simple ways like that, like shorthands, but... 
there's no, you know, and I understand there could be some, there could be some, not gender, but uh, there could be some sexual politics going on because the chairman, uh, Inui, is sleeping with Osunai. Uh, and there is this sense that he kind of, he's in a broken body, he's in a wheelchair, right. that he wants to. Inha- like I he, do think that's what's happening. Yeah, like he wants to, he wants to yeah. inject him his consciousness into someone else's body, right. and that's kind of the goal. But there's no efforts to try that, <laughs> so yeah. that's where I'm also kind of like, well, no. The first opportunity he gets, he turns into this giant naked shadow monster right. that's, that's going what he to was dis- going for. He was like, yeah, he went, world like, domination. Obviously, the only way I can get my walking back is to turn into a giant naked shadow monster <laughs> that towers over the city. And being a gay man, the most thing that is most feared to me is a giant naked woman who's going to eat my eat essence. <laughs> Um, I, I think, you know, so, so, uh, at the beginning of this conversation, I said there were two, two things that you brought up that I wanted to, to go in that direction. That the second thing I think is, is relevant to what we're talking about right now, which is that, um, uh, which, which is that you mentioned Jung and I think, mm. you know, this is the kind of like a paranoid agent is the Freudian cone. Yeah. Like this is the Jungian cone and I think, you know, that, that sort of collective unconsciousness is really at play here. But I also think, like, there's a reason why, like, Freud pops up so much in movies. Like, it's really fun to be Freudian in movies. Like, Oh, yeah. You know, you're, I mean, you're using a giant dick to, like, you know, project the world <laughs> onto people. <laughs> um, so, like, the, that, like, just right off the bat, you're, you're talking about Freud um Jung I think is much harder to depict on screen because it's like it's 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 much more ineffable like there's there's uh, there's this sense that we're all connected there's this feeling of like you know uh stories that we don't know you know that that's that's something that's like very difficult to convey um without getting super vague so I think there is something to be said about the fact that like this plot doesn't matter because the things that matter in the movie are things that you can't actually sort of show on screen. Yeah. It's the, it's the ideas. The ideas are what the ideas and the, the visual tech, you know, the visual technique is, is the stunning, you know, the, the shine on the, the polish on the apple in this movie, but it's the ideas. It is that Jungian philosophy of a shared consciousness in which we all dip into this dream well, and we can we can work collectively to um, heal each other and heal ourselves. And you know, going into these ideas of the anima, or you know, this you know this this primal kind of side of yourself within your dream world, which I think goes into the sexual sexualization of paprika is this idea of that this you know uh, this tapping into desire as a as a tool um because it is something that is you know within everyone you know to to a sense to this idea to these concepts of of what young what young was saying not not necessarily true for everyone but to his theories about uh a lot of this dream logic so it's 
it is it is really neat this idea that at some point our collective unconscious uh, becomes something that is conscious and all these characters are sharing upon this one viral mad dream uh, which you know is now is this Himuro's dream Did, like that's was that the right that's or is the it, main scene about designing paprika is it Takeda? Yeah, or is it created yeah. this world? Like, are we not actually even in people's dreams in this situation? Yeah, are we in the representation of it from the DC Mini? So this would be Takeda and Himuro's, like, creation together. So there would be aspects of both of them from right. the robots. It's almost kind of like an animation partnership. If, if uh, you know, Takeda is, is planning all the broad strokes and then the art director is Himuro, who's putting in all the things he loves, like the little dolls and pop electronics and uh robots and you know infesting it with all the things that he enjoys then you know it would kind of it would make a lot of sense that that's kind of like a world you know this this is this could almost be more of a matrix than a dream if we start to think about it as everything is taking place inside of the dc mini right uh, you know so no i totally agree i think in a lot of ways, you know, I think the only really potential uh, thing that could kind of go against that is the opening sequence, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because Konakawa doesn't really, uh, like, he's not tapped in yet. It seems like he's brought in later to the case, Um, you know, when he, like, uh, uh, recognizes Chiba, so, you know, that's really the only time when they're kind of recording somebody's dream that's outside of this network that seems to have been created. Yeah. Um, yeah. But even that, like... He has to put on know, the DC Mini to access that aspect of him, so... For sure. And then yeah. the other thing is that, like, you know, then we've got this component which we haven't talked about, which is the connection between dreams and the internet, which, of course, is, like, super cone. Oh, it's um, completely. But, like, the fact that you know he can access paprika through the internet you know how much does the dc mini play into kind of his desires that have been revealed on the internet like there's the you know you never know like what like i'm sure he's searched for stuff in this murder case and then like you know like uh he's probably looking at movie stuff like it's very um it's very difficult to kind of separate those things from uh, especially this in the, the these days when you know that every you know all the big, all big da- data has a file on you a mile long about all of your interests and likes and con- personal connections like how much could could you take that information if you had the technology and create your dr- your own dream world for an individual um, that they wouldn't even be aware that uh, that they that, were actually that they were in dreaming it. or not dreaming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because yeah, because that's the, you know, if you look at it in that aspect, then you know, he he's able to enter this virtual reality of of the internet. You know, he literally types into his computer, sits in front of it, and then right. within you and know, there's no sucking him into the TV. There's no grand right. kind of move. He's just all of a sudden in this bar. 
which is you know a, a lovely scene. It's a what radio club, and it's uh, the two characters at the bar, uh, which is a uh, Janai, which is the bartender, and Kuga, which is kind of like the uh, waiter. And those are both uh, Janai is uh, voiced by Satoshi Kon, and uh, the the uh, bar the, the uh, waiter is voiced by. Uh, Susui, who is the uh, author of Paprika, the the original book. So I thought that was really kind of fun that he's uh, inserted, like the first movie he's inserted himself into. And of course, it's as a bartender in this fictional club inside of the internet, which is also potentially a dream because the internet and the dream, you know, if the internet and the dream are so closely linked together, then is... Is this also still part of the programming of <laughs> of Tokita? You know, right. it's it's uh it's uh it starts to kind of uh it starts to become a feedback loop after a while of like you know what is real, what is fiction, and if this isn't actually dreams and this is something different, then you know, because I'm pretty sure that not everyone just goes into free word associations in their dreams. Like, you know, you have the characters who all of a sudden start speaking like nonsense, almost kind of like aphasia, where their their words yeah. are different from what they're thinking and they start acting out. It's not like they're in a like they're in a dream, but they're not. They're almost like being corrupted by this computer virus that is causing these problems. And this computer virus is visualized as this walking parade, uh, endless parade of brick brack and uh and uh, electronics and like my favorite is the uh the dancing refrigerators with the microwaves yeah. on top with the baby heads inside the microwaves and <laughs> like it's just it's absolutely insane like and it's a it's a it's a great visualization of this uh this kind of in virus that's slowly working its way permeating and working closer and closer to the city because when it starts it's out in the middle of some desert somewhere and then by the time that it's hit the big city, it's infecting everyone. And now dream, this dream is a reality and all the all the people that are within its grasp are acting out in the ways that the uh, the party, the, the, the dancing parade of craziness is happening, um, which is a really fantastic scene. When that thing hits the town and there's like that Bubsy Berkeley-esque uh, businessman plunging yeah. off the tops of buildings to their death. <laughs> you know in, in a very uh in a very organized and uh stylized way and it's a uh, it's absolutely a stunning set piece uh in in a film full of stunning set pieces yeah and reminds me of the the people on the the buildings in at the beginning of paranoia agent yes um i mean i think the whole the whole like internet is it the internet is it dreams is it and then you know obviously konakawa's movie obsession Mm. Um, you know, very similar to uh, Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress, like this idea of, you know, we're watching a movie with a person in a movie with a dream of, you know, like maybe it's a dream, maybe it's a, they're filming a movie. Either way, they're in a movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just like these layers and layers Oh. Um, that they put and then and then of course like the scene where he's uh literally telling her like you know about the 180 degree rule and um like they flip uh to show 
that they've crossed the line and yeah. they flip back. Um, it's all again like that. There's something about Cone like it's just it. It's so playful without being like uh, uh, obnoxiously clever. Like yes. there's this very. Um, there's this definitive wink at the audience, but it's not in the kind of knowing ironic way that I think, um, a lot of, uh, filmmakers and TV shows of his era suffer from. Yeah. There's no Um, preciousness to what he's doing. There's no me eye rolling at like seeing what he's doing. There's a, there's a joy to what he's doing. And, and because we're a part of that joy as opposed to him showing us how clever he is. He's saying, That's Hey, the thing like he's, he's genuinely interested in this stuff. He's not trying to be clever. And, and I really appreciate that about it. Um, you know, the, I, I do highly recommend to anybody who's interested in this movie, the commentary, uh, which, which, uh, he's on, uh, Hirasawa, the, the composer also plays a major role in the commentary. Um, there's a couple other people on it, but the first third of it in particular is very, very intensely about the music, but also about like these questions of reality and this feeling of like, um, you know, uh, rem- uh, remembering something or feeling like you remember something that you're experiencing, but you can't actually recall that you ever experienced it. Like this mm. sense that you've been somewhere before, uh, but you you don't think that you actually have been there. Um, and then also just the, you know, are we dream- like the dreaming versus reality and, and the feeling of like um, being experiencing something and not understanding it and and really just having the the ability to let yourself go and accept that that you can. You know, I mean, I, I think it comes into the conversation that we're having here in terms of like you really can watch this movie and turn off the subtitles yeah. and not pay attention to what's happening and get almost as much out of it as you do trying to follow the plot. Oh, you com- know? completely! Like you can, you can watch this in uh, Japanese with the subtitles you can watch this with the English dub you can watch it without anything each each way has a different has different subtleties and meanings to them and you can just watch this visually without having like you you'll know you know what's going on to a degree like there's it, it's almost it's almost uh, set up in sort of a you know in a surrealist dream logic way where, you know, it's like in Shenandoah where kind of things don't yeah. make sense, but there's this echo of sense that it is making within the context of itself. So you kind of go, Oh, okay. It's like, like you were saying with the, uh, that idea of remembering something that you think has happened potentially, but maybe it hasn't, but you're yeah. thinking you remember it. I know that I have, Many a times I've woken up from a dream and said, oh, my God, how many times am I going to have that dream? But then I have to sit there and go, have I had that dream before or is Mm. this the first time I've had it? And my brain is telling me that this is a reoccurring thing, but maybe it isn't. Maybe I've never had this dream before. Or my wife is one of those people that her dreams are processing all information like she's like a computer at bed. Like she when she gets when she goes to sleep 
all of her dreams pro is processes of everything she has taken in for the day. So mm. everything, like, you know, whatever movie we were watching and whatever thing has happened with our family, it, it that's where she deals with all that and processes it all is in her sleep. Mm. They'll all be tied together. And it's it's an amazing concept. And that's where that's where it's like in any other movie, these huge holes and lack of kind of footing on what's going on or what matters and what doesn't or why I'm not connecting emotionally to certain characters, it really doesn't matter so much in this because the dream logic is so well constructed that you can just kind of let things go because you are letting th like this film wash over you in terms of its visual uh, boldness and its dream logic nature that kind of like, yeah, I was sitting in that room with these three guys and now I'm on a roller coaster with this person and now yeah. I'm at high school with this friend that I had back in the day. And it all makes perfect sense because that's how your brain that's how your brain works and it tells you that it makes okay sense and this movie does the, it's amazingly does the same thing like we could sit here and analyze it and break it apart and start to go okay well this isn't working this movie doesn't work why is it working though <laughs> like it still works yeah. for me and it that's that's a crazy that's an amazing thing that that can be something that both strays so far away from traditional narrative structure things that the, you know, in a B movie, this would just be we didn't have time to film this scene, so screw it, just put it together and let's be done with this. But in yeah, in it this was kind movie, of like the big sleep in a lot of ways, like yeah. there is this feeling of like it, it it has all the components of a movie, but it's not really a movie. Yeah, and that's kind of amazing. It really <laughs> is. It really is. I was watching. I was recently watching a. Two weeks in another town, and uh, they're talking about like this idea of like, well, it doesn't matter. We're making this movie in Italy. We don't need to tie all these pieces together because who cares? Like this character can say this line because we'll put it in their mouth later. It doesn't matter what's really going on in this scene. We can do whatever we want. Movies are dreams, and it's kind of like it's it's that same. I mean, I'm paraphrasing like kind of some of the the conversations that we're having in that film, but it's that same kind of thing here. It's like it it really doesn't matter because movies are dreams, and you know the Kanakawa character is a per, is the physical is us is the physical manifestation of the person dealing with the most basic ideas of reality and dreams uh, kind of melding together and you know this idea that he has a reoccurring nightmare or dream of like he can't solve this case and he's chasing this shadow figure who is both simultaneously fighting him and running away from him at the same time and he can't kind of put his finger on it and the solution is so simple at the end, it's kind of like, well, that seems like something you should have been able to logically leap to yourself. But at the same time, it's like, well, if you're this character and you've repressed all this horrible stuff, like this horrible thing, this one horrible incident he has just put into his past, pushed away, and now it's kind of reverberating throughout his entire life, it, you know, it's, it is a pretty, um, a cathartic 
uh, feeling to finally be able to break through that, which helps you break through to the end of your case. And, you know, I'm sure that is therapy working like that is a perfect example of therapy working on screen. Now, whether he goes, you know, busts into some other person's dream or nightmare, rescues them and continues on his his path of rescuing damsels in distress in his dreams and that becomes a reality but it's also within the dream it's it's pretty it's pretty fun that that is his his catharsis that he realizes that he's doing what he's always meant to do which was to be the hero because that's what he was doing when he was making movies with his friend and his friend didn't get to realize that dream and then because he didn't get to realize it because he died you know Kanakawa has to go forth and realize it for him but he does it in reality by actually becoming a cop instead of making movies it's 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 such a it's it's, it's such a simple conceit but it works well within this film as one of the only pieces of true growth and breakthrough and of course it happens to the most pedestrian of all the characters you know the simple cop who is our who is our into this film um it's 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 well done it, it works it works it's it shouldn't work but this movie works <laughs> it's it's so well, hard I like like i've i've seen this movie more times than any of cone's films um i saw this in theaters when it first came out um this was back when uh there's a big uh, anime anime kind of resurgence in terms of kind of like normal theater going experiences because of uh because of how well princess mononoke did and then spirited away came out and this came out right alongside of it um so it was kind of like another version you know i remember they highly highly plugged this movie in terms of kind of like a spirited away-esque you know idea and uh, so I saw this in theaters. I saw I bought it. I, this is the first one I had I, I purchased before I even knew about the rest of his work. Before I was able to t- tie this director to Perfect Blue, which was something I saw on VHS a long time right. ago. Um, so I've seen this movie quite often, and it's still it's still just kind of it is a it is a perfect stew of just all this stuff that may not look like it should work together, but it does, and it doesn't need to make sense because it just tastes so good. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a poor description of spirited away either. I mean, no, I, I, I find spirited away to be, uh, a little too long and, uh, very odd, but for some reason, like I just get completely wrapped up in what's happening. And I think, you know, there's certainly a dream logic to that film as well. And both of these movies, uh, the director didn't know where they were going when they started the movie. And uh, you, I think you really feel that in both of them. But not in the way of like, oh, he's clearly making this up as he goes along. But more as like, you're in confident hands that... Um, from a filmmaker who trusts himself. And I think uh, that is matched with just like somebody at the peak of their powers and who's surrounded by people who are at the peak of their powers. I mean, the music in this movie is very striking. And 
I don't think it would be the same film without it. You know, you mentioned that parade, the parade sequence, which is is wonderfully animated, um, but frequently uh, the same, mm-hmm. uh, with just like different backgrounds occasionally. Oh yeah, recycled um, completely yeah. recycled, which is a favorite thing of his. Like he 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 brags yeah. about how 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 he loves to recycle. Right, and I, but but I mean the music is so good, and I think has this feeling again of like i feel like i've heard it before but Mm. i haven't heard it before and so when it comes back and it you know throughout the movie it's uh it it kind of makes you sit up and pay attention um it it's uh it's really great and 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 just from a from just like a you know, technical perspective, the animation in this film is so interesting. Um, and, you know, I mean, he, he used a little bit of, of computer animation in Tokyo Godfathers, mostly in like the post processing, but mm-hmm. like here, there's some really interesting stuff being done with, with 3d, um, in particular, the, uh, the bending of reality, the yeah. hallway sequences, pretty striking in a way that like you might not really notice it if you didn't know what you were looking for yeah that and the uh like the black hole the 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 thing that is taking the dreams into reality the uh the portal if you will when that starts just pulling in all the city and everything around it and you know that that's a really good use for that animation as well no, I think uh, I, I, you know, and going going back a little bit to talking about the parade of items, um, you know, and that's where it kind of like the strength of that idea, that concept of this being kind of like a a dream virus. You know, it's just a program that's running constantly, and it just it's going to infect everyone because it, it's it's it has its same goals over and over and over, just going forward. You know, just it's. It is what it is. So recycling, it makes perfect sense. It's not growing bigger. Yeah. It's just growing. And, and it's almost like an earworm. It's just going to get in there and it's going to just infect you. And then you're you're spouting the nonsense as well, just spreading that, right. that virus like Agent further. Right, Smith in the Matrix. Yeah, it's, a, it's super neat. I mean, dude, we can talk a lot about the, uh, the influence this is, has on on other films but i'd probably maybe even a little later but this is uh yeah the 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 characters there's not really big arcs that they go through um and you don't know what's real and what isn't uh, a lot of times so when you find out at the end that you know uh, konakawa has solved his murder and he's gonna go to the wedding of uh of Chiba and Tokita, you're kind of like, okay, <laughs> this is a weird wrap up. This is such a typical wrap up. And then you think about, well, this is how all those films that Konakawa is in love with would have wrapped up. Everything's good at the end. He gets the girl, uh, you know, everything works. And he finally is reconnected with that concept of love, which is his love of cinema, which that ending is a perfect cinematic ending to a movie about someone who need to reconnect with the fact that he loves movies. 
And so it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful lending in that terms because it works in terms of that character's narrative and it works in terms of our narrative as movie lovers and then works in terms of the director's narrative because they're the all the movies that he made and that dream children movie is basically almost sounds like the plot for the unfinished dream machine movie that he never got to finish yeah and he says as much in the commentary too he he's really funny like there's a couple times in the commentary where he he like at one point he says uh a lot of people uh have compared this film to paranoia agent and i couldn't have said it better myself <laughs> <laughs> oh he's so good at that stuff I regret. Um, I re- yeah. I'll have to. I'll have to do the commentary. I regret yeah. not listening to it. I was just, yeah. No, I mean it's 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 really funny. I mean, I think like he's very conscious of all of these things that he does. You know, like at one point he's talking about the reference to Blade Runner and the dolls, mm. and you know he 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 says like you know some people are gonna get it and some people aren't, and that's totally fine. Like we're doing we're putting these things in because we find them interesting, not to like make sure that everybody you know catches all the references and to and it's so important to the meaning of the movie like that and and again like that's something that i think is really important in animation because it it's so hard to make a one second of animation so yeah you know to 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 really spend the time like he's he he's constantly um especially in the back half of the film pointing out moments that he drew himself because he was just like, you know, there, there was just wasn't anybody else to do it. And it was like, and it, it reminded me of like when, when I'm like at work and I have, like I have to have somebody else do something and then I have to review the work and it takes me more time to oh, redo then, the work than if I yourself. had just done it myself. Yeah. Oh, that's constantly I, in my like, job as well. Yeah. <laughs> and he totally, it totally sounds like that from him. Like he's just, like, he almost literally says that, um, he's just like, you know, I can give it to somebody else, but then it's like, you know, I, I might as well just do it myself. I'm going to do it right. <laughs> I know what I want. Um, and he, I mean the, the, the attention to detail, like at one point, um, when Chiba goes to see, uh, Takeda at his, um, in his apartment and there's all these notes in the background pin pin to the wall mm-hmm. cone created every single one of those notes and it was like all gobbledygook but he wanted it to look like it was like equations that were created by a genius um and then but then the thing is that he knew that if he had like put, put all these notes behind her that it would be super distracting so they're out of focus so it's like he he spent all this time yeah. creating this wall of notes and then put it out of focus. But he wanted it to like look real in an, in an out of focus way. I mean, like That's... it's it's like it, the 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 attention to detail is just like it it's very mind boggling to even conceive of being you know taking years of your life to do things like this and to create this world. But I think ultimately like that things like that are no different from Blade Runner references that people who haven't seen Blade Runner aren't going to get because they enrich the world in this 
subconscious way that you know what you're looking at. You know, the other thing that they talk about a ton in the commentary is the feeling of looking at something that is uh, supposed to look realistic but isn't real and it takes you out of the experience um, of like watching it um, like you know I mean especially like as they were doing the commentary it's like mid 2000s so like CGI real people were incredibly distracting I, I think oh, for yeah. the most part they Completely. still are but at least they've gotten to the point now where there's they can fool you a little bit um, here you know like at this point it was like ridiculous you know like the the final fantasy uh movie uh from the early 2000s and stuff like that like the the sense of like that there you need to kind of there's certain things in animation that you need to get right in order to prevent people from being taken out of the movie and i think that there's an incredible um, amount of experience and skill required to be able to pick those things out to say this is really important we need to spend an enormous amount of time on it because if it's if it's wrong it's going to be distracting and people aren't going to be invested in the movie that we're creating the world that we're building and so we need to take our time with this I think is really important um, you know when whether it's like a billboard or um, raindrops on a on a car like the, there's things that you really need to uh, you know as you know like as as somebody who who makes movies like it's all about the the decisions that you make about where you spend your time and you know what's important yeah and, and that that is doubly so I think in animation because you really have to make sure that people don't start to think they're just looking at uh, you know, sketchings on a piece of paper, um, unless that's literally what you're trying what you're to make trying them to think do. about. Yeah. yeah, that's uh that's where uh, you know we that Final Fantasy reference is where we start crossing into the uncanny valley of this doesn't feel right mm-hmm. because this shouldn't look this way. Like things should be less realistic because they're animated, and I can be invested in any animated world as long as I understand that it's animated and when you start you know putting making things too hyper realistic in your animation it does become distracting because then you pop out for a second and uh, Cone has always been a glutton for detail the fact excuse me um, the fact that uh like in Perfect Blue, he was just obsessing over all the little details in in uh, Mima's apartment because that is what gives your character an inner life. And then the same thing here, like every single item, like the fa- you know, like you were saying with the out of whoa, there's a motorcycle. <laughs> uh, like you were saying with the out of focus post-it notes in the back that's the stuff that's super important because otherwise if you shorthand it and just put them in a void a color void like a lot of the cheap animation happens where you're trying to recreate your tv as fast as possible um you're also taken out and you're losing that attention to detail because yeah in a real movie 
chances are there would be lots of notes up on the wall and they would be out of focus. You know, in animation, yes, you could have everything be in focus at once and you can you can focus on those those notes, but in a you know, in this sense, that is exactly how it would be if you were looking at it through the lens of a camera. So yeah. it, it also sells that, you know, like we talked about in his past movies, the idea of filmmaking as animation. Um using a lot of the techniques that you would use in typical filmmaking and then just enhancing them or perfecting them to a point of, you know, point of utilizing them, you know, perfectly, I guess it would be, uh, would be the, what he's he's going for better than perfect. I mean, it's like, it's, it's being able to, to do things that you can't actually do with a camera. Um, yeah, I, I think this this film constantly toys with that and 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 directly references it too like in the scene where she, where Paprika goes behind the scenes essentially of the city and you know descends into basically like the backdrop mm. uh behind uh what she was seeing like there's again he's He's not just thinking about like reality versus fantasy or dream uh, versus waking. He's uh, always commenting on the fact that you're watching a movie. Yeah, um, but but never again. Never with like a wink. It's it's a lot more. Yeah, there's um, no pretension to it. It's yeah, always yeah. This is fun, isn't this? Isn't this an awesome thing to do together? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and and also just like I find this really interesting, don't you too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a shared, there's a shared, there's a sharing, like like sitting at a table and sharing a meal. It's this idea of like, hey, this is this is really yummy. You should try this too, and not a uh, not a not a. Let me explain how this farm to table item came to be into existence, <laughs> yeah. and this is why you should enjoy it. It's just a straight up. This tastes good. Try it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but also like um like um to extend that metaphor like he's not somebody that's gonna make like a you know like a deconstructed cereal or something no. like that you know <laughs> no not like at he, all. and if he does he'll he'll do it in in this very unpretentious way um and i think it's very hard to do that because they're they're ultimately i think in film there's nothing more pretentious than like meta commentary on making a movie yeah. um yet I, I i feel like there's it's i can't think of really any other filmmakers that are able to actually accomplish it as well as cone can no i think we've we've had this conversation i think every episode there's no even when they try like try to mimic him um we have seen the efforts and it doesn't work the same way. Um, I think the big uh, the big influence of this movie on Incept Christopher Nolan's Inception yeah. is is the is the strongest point in that fact. Like Inception is an interesting movie in terms of the world building it does, but it is a straight laced uh, <laughs> corporate espionage movie. Um, yeah, you know that you have to 
get into people's dreams so someone will subconsciously finally come to the realization he needs to sell his company uh, so someone else <laughs> can make a million bajillion dollars on it it's uh when you when you break it down to that it's pretty lame but uh you know the 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 journey there is interesting and there's lots of visual touchstones that they use um directly lifted out of this movie from the hallway chasing yeah. someone down a hallway and it starts to kind of lose its uh, form on you to uh the part where elliot page is kind of touching the, yeah, the glass design, yeah. and it dissolves uh so we can get behind the uh, facade of what the dream is yeah i mean i think like the thing about nolan in a lot of his movies, especially his later films, um, is that he's so like in love with the technique of, you know, whatever it is like that he's marrying Mm. effects with concept that it, it, it's so, uh, like mechanical. Well, he's taking, he's, um, he took like the wrong, he's like missing, he's taking the wrong lessons from Kubrick. Like, you know how we had that conversation of no matter what's going on technically, Kubrick is telling the story of like yeah. a human story of what's going on. And and Nolan has taken those techniques of the, the cold calculated mechanical like how to get to these things of reproduction, but not the stories aren't human. Like there's no, I don't know. There's no emo- like with the exception of uh, uh, Dunkirk. There's some good emotional beats in that, but I mean it's really hard not to uh, tie emotion into war dramas. You know you can't help but feel bad for people and when people are dying all the time because of the stuff that you know really happened, but. He, yeah yeah he's taking but it's fun it's funny though because like in inception uh interstellar and tenet are all a little bit about f- relationships and f- being a parent uh and like you know uh family uh connections and yet they don't feel like they are at all like i think even fans of those movies could potentially be surprised to hear them described that way maybe not interstellar is the most overtly about that yeah Um, even even that it's like a 19 it's like a spielberg 70s family where yeah this is my my exploration of the world is more important than my family on earth even though i'm i'm doing this for my family Really, I'm not because when he comes back to Earth yeah. and he sees his daughter again, he still says, "Well, I'm still going to go out exploring because that's what I'm going to do." I'm Matthew McConaughey and I'm running for Texas governor. Um, so he just, you know, he's <laughs> still he's still just that's what it's about. And even with even with Inception, like you know, he's practicing his his business art of dream dream uh, manipulation, and at the same, you know, and trying to kind of repair his marriage that really probably wasn't on the strongest terms if he had to manipulate her dreams <laughs> you know it's so yeah. there's so like it it they're family on the surface but it almost feels cheap because it's a family shorthand to make to give you to give like you that, the emotion yeah. but it's not what it's about so it doesn't matter really 
Like if if uh, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio could just have an old friend that's a pain in the ass who keeps on ruining his adventures. It his, doesn't... his movie, yeah, I guess his movies are kind of like reverse MacGuffins, right? Yeah, it's like the MacGuffin is actually what the movie is about. Yeah, the MacGuffin is, is the, the emotion. The wrong way. Yeah, to <laughs> that's crazy. Be... It's an emotional MacGuffin. Like you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to make the MacGuffin the movie. Yeah, like the, and he accidentally did that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're getting too deep into to. Oh, we are. Now. I think I think the message here is that we're not we're not going to do the complete Christopher Nolan. Um, <laughs> but I do. You know, I I mean, I, I think Inception is a very fun movie. Um, oh, don't get me wrong. There's there's great ideas in those movies. Yeah. And there's there's stuff to kind of like you know there's you know I like the farting trombone or whatever it is that like the score <laughs> of Inception. <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. I don't know. It does sound like farting, but in like a cool way. Um, I mean, I, I I think it's weird that like it's so blatantly like at least Darren Aronofsky paid Cohen oh. for for Perfect yeah. Blue. Um like it's it's pretty blatantly um in, influenced by it. I I don't think like uh, of course like putting Entering someone's dreams is a concept that uh, anybody could come up with, but the, I think the plot points are so specifically connected that yeah. it's it's difficult to imagine that that they were invented. Well, I mean, and, and I also just think, like, you know, uh, there's something very vulgar about like taking that that hallway scene here and turning it into uh like a hollywood fight sequence i don't know like as cool as that sequence is it just doesn't feel uh earned emotionally in the way that that we see in in this movie and and to to divorce it from its emotional context it kind of ruins it a little bit well there's an arrogance to the way that he goes about it because it's uh first People will never see this uh, in Japanese animated thing, so yeah, I can lift directly right. from it without having to worry about it. And then two, like, and also I can make it better. Which well, well don't get. I mean, you now know, you're going to started on Quentin Tarantino, and then we'll we'll <laughs> lose the other half of our audience that we already uh, that we that the, we the quarter with, of our audience. Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I would say that uh, you know this. Cohn has influenced many, many directors because he is speaking a very cinematic language that resonates with so many directors because he is truly trying to perfect and sometimes surpassing perfection in his attempts at perfecting cinema and movie movie making in, in animation, which I think is why so many people kind of flock to him as a as a resource for ideas, because he is far and ahead like in a lot of filmmaking aspects making making something that no one could recreate in a physical world yeah um, without making but i think that's the sad part of like i mean i i i was thinking about this today because obviously this is the last of his movies that we'll be talking about and you know i mean i think the two mini seasons that we've done are not coincidentally the saddest in terms Mm. of like we really didn't get enough movies from uh, Elaine May or, or Satoshi Kon, but I think ultimately, like, Elaine May's had an incredible career, long career, with, and she did a lot of really amazing things um, 
that weren't behind the camera. And it just feels like with Cone, like there, there really was nobody else like him. And, um, because of the difficulty in producing animation, particularly in the U S I mean, I think it's easier for people and there have been some really great pe- people like a Yuasa, um, in, in Japan, um, who I don't think he's up to Cone's storytelling capabilities, but certainly from an animation perspective, he does incredible things. Um, and I, th- I th- think in the U S it's just really hard to get funding for anything. That's not a four quadrant family yeah. movie in animation. Um, but like, it, it's, it's just really, really sad to think about the fact that this person, um, was so singular and, um, you know, that, that there was just so much more that he would have been capable of. I mean, you're talking about probably 50 years of movies that, uh, but potentially I'm yeah. saying 50 years of movies that, uh, that will never get back, you know, when you're considering, um, yeah. that Miyazaki is, has come out of retirement and is making another movie, uh, almost up to, up to that age. Like the, this was a person who had a huge amount of movies ahead of him and, and we're never going to get to see them. Yeah. That's it. That is incredibly sad. And he was about to make his first kind of all ages film Yeah, that, you know, would have probably gotten him a lot more recognition or pointed more attention to him on a wider scale. But yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It is, it is a bittersweet that this we're, we're left with, you know, five four and a half to five star films that you know are super impressive and you know would they have declined eventually would would have times have changed would he have been like left out of the mix or the conversation after a while you know we referenced you know you referenced Miyazaki's long storied career you know he has movies that are better than others but you know the fact that we have this condensed just amazing output of storytelling and visual technique and uh, completely uh, radical new ideas in terms of how to animate something and I think that is something phenomenal Um, there is no you know it's kind of like that you know live fast die young leave a good looking corpse the corpse that he has left us is just absolutely stunning it's true. Well, um, do you have any any last things about Paprika before we kind of queue up uh, our exciting final episode for the season? No, I think uh, I think we covered it well. I you know it's hard to it's hard to cover a movie in which it works so much on dream yeah. logic and feeling and yeah. feeling, which you know I'm left no matter what happens. No matter what holes I can take my time to burrow through and, you know, you know, bore into this film to try to pick it apart, it's going to just be like where she smashes the glass of reality and goes into another place. Like this movie just always, always has more surprises and it always works in a sense of feeling as opposed to a sense of logic, which is what dreams really are working with. There is no logic just feeling and emotion that you're when you wake up in the morning you're left with this sense and that's what this movie is for me just kind of you wake up after it's over with this sense of you know peace or happiness joy i feel a lot of joy at the end of this film so 
I think that's uh, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, um, the second time I was watching it for this podcast, I fell asleep like 30 minutes into it. And it was one of those sleeps where you're like not quite fully asleep. Yep. And I feel like that's how I want to watch this movie from now on. Like, I feel like that's the perfect viewing situation for this movie. Like, we should watch it awake once, <laughs> but then half asleep is the way to watch Paprika. Yes, I think. that way you can just uh, absorb it subconsciously. Like, did, did this happen to me? Like, was I, uh, you know, did was I in- encountered by, by a person who was half person, half tentacled? Uh, or was that in the movie? I can't remember. Did I have my my body ripped open from genitals yeah, to a I guess forehead? We'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. Dream or reality? Yeah. <laughs> um, so what are we doing next episode, Travis? Anything well, special? We are going to talk about his final work he made, a short film, um, and then we're going to have a special guest. Um, and I'll uh, I'll leave it at that. That way, you guys all have to show up to hear who uh, who we have on for our next episode, and uh, how excited we are to uh, talk to this person. Yeah, it's gonna be really exciting, and um, hopefully, we'll get a lot of context around Cone's work, um, both in terms of his career and uh, his his uh, co-workers and uh, fellow anime filmmakers um and animation in general so it, it should be a, a pretty fun conversation i'm looking forward to it yeah and with that we're complete for another week